Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes, so each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Though I'm not a fashion blogger anymore, you're going to have to listen to episode 184 for that story. There is one thing that I firmly believe to this day. There is simply nothing better than a well-made and comfortable leather shoe. I recently discovered Bedstew and fell in love with their leather shoes. Bedstew's mission is to create quality products that are made to last using only the most natural ingredients. Bedstew takes pride in their four R's recycle, reduce, reuse, and renewable. They use recycled materials, reduce landfill waste, source their materials from naturally renewable resources, and offer a restore and repair program so you can extend the life of your items. I have personally been wearing my Gia sandals from Bedstew nonstop since I got them. They're the perfect summer sandals and I always feel so cute when I wear them and they're just so comfy. Bedstew is giving you a 20% off on your first order when you go to bedstew.com and use code RC20 at checkout. That's B-E-D-S-T-U.com and use code RC20 for 20% off. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and thank you so much for being here today. I am so excited to be digging back into doing some episodes with you. I took about a month off this summer. I needed some space after my egg freezing. And then I went to Italy. And if you want to see what I did in Italy, I, in my personal opinion, made some killer reels on Instagram, (laughs) just showing you guys the different cities I went to. Um, It was so fun and amazing. And I could just really get used to that Italy life. I ate more pasta and cheese in two weeks than I think I have in my whole life. And It is true what people say about eating gluten in Italy. I was completely fine. I I still feel like I'm a little bit of a block of cheese right now. Like I ate so much food that I'm like feeling like I'm still like sweating cheese and garlic every day, but 100% worth it. And now we're back. Okay. So I talk to you about Patreon pretty much every week here on the podcast. I want to invite you again to join Patreon. It is my online membership community. You can join for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash the refined collective. Every month I launch exclusive 
VIP content that only is accessible for the Patreon community. This past month, I've recorded videos on um, is being gay a sin. I have also recorded videos on what is a person of faith's response to the Dobbs decision or the Roe v. Wade being overturned. Can you actively really love God and be pro-choice? And is criminalizing abortion truly the way to decrease abortion rates? So yeah, I'm talking about some pretty controversial stuff over on Patreon. I also host a free monthly Zoom coaching call every month for my Patreon community. So if you like Mentor Mondays that I do every week on Instagram, then you will like the group coaching call via Zoom every month. It's super fun. And I also started a book club. So my book club is every month, once a month. We've been going through Pete Enns' book for the past month. This month we'll go, we'll read his book again and it's called the Bible tells me so. So if you grew up in evangelical culture and were taught things like the earth was created in a literal seven days, the only way you can be a true Christian is if you believe in the inerrancy of scripture. Pete ends gives another side of the conversation of really being able to hold on to your faith in a very meaningful way while also kind of letting go of some of the, these more, um, uh, I don't know what else to say without saying the word with these more archaic ideas. Um, so it's been super challenging for me to go through this book and also so helpful to go through it in community. There are about like 25, 30 people on the call and we break out into small groups and it's just great. So that's my Patreon Ted talk. Would love for you to join patreon.com slash the refined collective. Now today is a good day because I think this is Dr. Celeste Holbrook's fourth time, maybe fifth time on the podcast. I've officially dubbed her our sex expert on the Refined Collective. I love doing these sex ed episodes with her. You guys clearly love them too because they're always our most downloaded episodes. So Dr. Celeste is back today. We are answering more of your questions that you submitted to me via Instagram stories this week. Now, if you want to listen to past episodes that I've done with Celeste, episode 193 is about vibrators, positions, and oral. Oh my. And then episode 168 is just basic sex ed 101 with Dr. Celeste Holbrook. Dr. Celeste Holbrook is also who I do all of my sex ed workshops with. She has become a very dear friend. And I'm just so glad to have you back, Celeste. I love chatting with you. Oh, Kat, that's really kind. Well, I love chatting with you and I love, the, I love your audience. You have the best, the best audience that's just asked really great vulnerable questions every time. And it's just always so fun to see what you guys want to know. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that. I love that we get to do this together. And sometimes a lot of times I feel like such a fake next to you because you actually are a sexologist you have a phd and i'm like i just have a lot of opinions and have read some books <laughs> that's really what a phd is it's just a lot of opinions and some books so you know <laughs> you know potato potato <laughs> that's right that's right yeah well you and i just went over these list of questions before the call and there's some zingers in here <laughs> where i'm like yes let's do this let's freaking do this so are you ready i'm ready Okay, so the first question we got is, 
how do I find my clitoris? What a beautiful question. So the clitoris is my very favorite topic. Wouldn't you like, don't I just love the clitoris? Yeah. Hello. The sole yeah. purpose of the clitoris is pleasure. It's Thank you, so God. Oh, yes. <laughs> so if you are a vulva owner, you probably have a clitoris and the clitoris is uh, an anatomical part of your vulva that resides mostly underneath the lips and labia or the folds of your skin around your vaginal canal. And the small part of the clitoris that you can see on the outside of the body sometimes is called the glans clitoris. And that's what we typically think of when we think of the clitoris. And so it is located just above your urethra where your pee comes out. And it is like a, like a pea sized kind of gland. And sometimes you have to pull back the skin of your labia or the clitoral hood to be able to see it. So when you are aroused, it actually becomes erect, just like uh, uh, penis tissue, and it might become a little bit more noticeable. So if you want to find your clitoris, my first suggestion is just to get in a comfortable position on your bed and start exploring your vulva, which is all, you know, everything on the outside of the body, start exploring your vulva with a mirror first. So looking first can help get you oriented as to, you know, what kind of anatomy you have, what it looks like. And then you can start kind of uh, using your fingers to go through the labia or the folds of your vulva and kind of see what's down there and see where your um, vaginal canal is. And then right above that is where your urethra is, which is a very, very small hole. And then right above that would be your clitoris. And I, I think uh, let's kind of clarify a few things, Celeste. And mm-hmm. first of all, I didn't know until like a year ago that my entire downtown area wasn't the vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's really common. Yeah. Right. And and so can you explain what exactly when we are actually talking about the vagina, what actually is that? Right. So let's talk about the three different parts of genitalia for penis Mm -hmm. owners and vulva owners, right? So you have reproduction, you have urination, and you have pleasure. So those are the three different functions of genitalia. So reproduction in a vulva owner is your vaginal canal, which is the, which is an internal part of yourself. It's, you cannot see the vagina on the outside of the body, really. You can just see the vaginal opening. And so the vagina, the cervix, the uterus, the fallopian tubes, and the ovaries, those are, for the most part, your reproductive system. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your urethra, which is your urination system. It's how you avoid uh, urine out of your body. And then your pleasure system is your clitoris. It's the only, like you are saying earlier, the uh, clitoris's only goal for you is to experience sensations that bring you pleasure. So they are all separate systems in a vulva owner. Now in a penis owner, all of those systems are all in one handy dandy situation, just like, you know, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, all in one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, the, the penis, you know, reproduction, urine, urination, and pleasure are all in one. Um, whereas the vulva is more like that seven step skincare and hair routine, right? It is all separate and for very, very good reasons. But um, most people call their vulva their vagina a lot of times from the very beginning. Um, when in reality, 
calling your vulva, your vagina is like calling your face, your throat. Um, mm. It's it's an internal structure. So, you know, maybe start thinking about calling your vulva what it is. It's a vulva, which is everything external. It includes kind of your lips, your labia, your clitoris, everything um, and then your vagina is actually a canal that goes from your vaginal opening up to your cervix. Thank you so much for describing that. And I think even the fact that we're getting a question like, how do I find my clitoris on, from women who, I don't know how old this um, woman was who submitted this question, but I imagine in her, in her, her 20s or 30s. Mm-hmm. To me, a question like this, first of all, I understand. Like, like I said, a year plus ago, I didn't actually know, like, what is a vulva? I thought the whole thing was a vagina. And to me, that is what the devastation of one of the devastations of growing up in abstinence only sex ed or any sort of culture where we were not given comprehensive sex ed. What a what a tragedy that we don't know even what the parts of our bodies are called, let alone what the purposes of them are. And you and I talk a lot about giving informed consent in our workshops. Mm -hmm. The only way that I am able to give informed consent is if first I need to know my own body. Yeah. You're informed. You have to be informed. informed. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember years ago doing a workshop and someone saying something very similar to me that you said, like, grab a mirror. And I was like, that's gross. Ew. Mm. Like, Mm. I don't want to look at that. Like it was, I feel like as a woman, like our bodies are instantly sexualized from the time we're young. And, and yet also we're constantly told that they're gross like I, I remember watching Amy Schumer has a Netflix special and she talks about how, you know, when a girl starts her period, it's like, oh, this is so beautiful. You're a woman. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Now, here's some tampons. Never talk about it. This is gross. Disgusting. Ew. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what a mixed message that is. So I, I just kind of want to acknowledge that all of these questions are beautiful questions. There's no shame in any of these questions. And a huge reason why you and I want to have these conversations is to normalize all of this stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, if you're a vulva owner, let's know where the clitoris is. Yeah. Let's know what its purpose is. Let's know what the vaginal canal is. Um, mm-hmm. Now, would you say, would you suggest a person who is doing that and exploring and like, oh, this is what this is to have clean hands? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, our hands are actually really filled with bacteria. And if you're doing some exploring or in your masturbation practice, you definitely want to wash your hands before you don't need to do anything special, but just, you know, good wash before you explore is for sure. And I wanted to say something too, you know, how you mentioned, you know, years ago, you might've been mortified to look at your vulva with a mirror for any listener who does feel, you know, when we suggested that take a mirror and look at your vulva, um, does feel like that's outside of their comfort zone. I would, I would say, give yourself some compassion. Like, yeah, it makes sense that you feel that way based on the messages that you were given or the neglect that happened in your sex education growing up. Give yourself com- some mm. compassion and then just get a little curious about why you have that thought. Why you, why does that 
that thought, my, my vulva is gross or, Ooh, I don't want to do that because that leads to your feelings, which leads to your actions. Right. So if we can define and understand that thought, then we can reframe that thought and maybe, um, think about it in a different way. Yeah. And even I think this part is something that can be really powerful is like reclaiming or reframing the narratives. And Mm -hmm. even just, I was listening to a podcast with, it was Rachel Bilson has a new podcast and she was interviewing Gina Rodriguez. And Gina said that a few years ago, she would started standing naked in front of the mirror every day, or even when she was in the shower and like touching her arm and being like, I love you. Like mm-hmm. you're so beautiful. Thank you so much. Like her stomach. Like I, I love this stomach. The stomach is so beautiful. I love how my thighs touch. Like they show me how strong I am and basically like almost a fake it till you make it. And, um, I think I used to think something like that was weird, but I'm like all day long, all we're doing is shaming ourselves and we don't come out of the womb shaming ourselves. We receive these narratives Mm -hmm. and then start speaking them over our lives as their gospel truth. So literally to like reorient the neural pathways in our brain, it can be like, oh my gosh, like I am speaking life and destiny over my body. I'm saying, wow, like thank you God for my clitoris. God, thank, thank you. Like, wow. Thank you vulva for doing your job. Thank you. Vaginal canal. Like what a gift that I have these things. Like, wow. Like these are beautiful. The color is beautiful. And Mm. that might feel like a weird practice, but I just think we are ashamed, ashamed of our body because we were taught to be ashamed. And so part of rewiring that is like literally preaching a different message over our lives and over our bodies. Yeah, it's so true. And I think what you just said is the most important is that you are socialized, you're conditioned to think certain things about your body. Yeah, And so you can, you, there is work to be done to uncondition that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Ready for the next question? Oh yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, is anal heterosex bad? I feel like only really weird, porny people talk about it. No Christians. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm, I'm so, so much in there. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for your audience for all these questions. I really, really am. Um, so let's, yeah, let's unpack a little bit of that, that question. So, mm-hmm. so first of all, um, let's not think about sex as binary. Like there's mm-hmm. bad sex and there's good sex, right? Mm-hmm. So there's just sex and there is what you find, you know, appropriate and ethical in your sex life. And that might not be what I find appropriate and ethical in my sex life. Right. Mm. So in terms of, is it healthy or not? Mm. Um, anal play can, can be very healthy and very pleasurable and totally fine. Um, it, mm. the, there's three keys to anal play. It's relaxation, communication, and lots of lubrication. <laughs> um, but it can feel really great for anybody. doesn't matter your sexual orientation at all. So anybody with an anus has stretch receptors in their anus that have nerves that run through the, the anus or kind of past the rectum and into your pleasure center. So into your clitoris or into your penis. Um, and so anybody with an anus can feel pleasure from anal play and it has nothing to do with, um, who you have sex with. (laughs) It just has to do with you having a pleasure center around your sphincter. That's it. Yeah. Love it. 
And I I love the podcast. I know we've talked about this a lot, Sex with Emily. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a lot of information about a lot of different types of sex, but um, she has some great resources for anal sex. And one thing that she has said kind of repeat, repeatedly is like, you can't go from zero to dick. No. <laughs> <laughs> and yep. so like, if you are like interested or curious in that, like, and have never done that before, you don't want to go from nothing to. <laughs> yeah. To and that's that? exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. And that is why we talk about it as anal play, not always anal penetration, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to start with definitely some lubrication, but definitely going slow and using a couple of fingers. And um, I always instruct people to take their index and their ring and their middle finger and cross it over and then just rub around the anus and check in with Mm -hmm. your partner and how do you feel does that feel good do you like this you want me to back off right just doing a nice um anal massage on the outside right Mm -hmm. and then once that feels really great then you can ask hey can i tip in and then i want you to put your the pads of your index finger on the opening and then tip in instead of hitting it like a doorbell we're not going to do that mm-hmm. <laughs> right so you can put the tabs the pads of your finger on the on the opening and then kind of tip in like you are um, pushing your fingers down. And so, yeah, you just start out really slow um, with a finger and then you can maybe work up to a small sex toy with a phalanged base and then maybe a penis or a larger sex toy or whatever feels, whatever feels comfortable for the both of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to address the part of the question that's like says, I feel like only re- weird, horny people talk about it. Christians don't mm-hmm. talk about it. So mm-hmm. again, one of the reasons why I'm hosting these conversations, why Celeste and I are hosting sex ed workshops a couple times a year is to really normalize talking about sex, defining sex in more comprehensive ways, because really through, I read this in Peggy Orenstein's book, Boys and Sex, that the number one way people are learning about sex is through pornography. And that is because Most schools don't offer comprehensive sex ed. Parents don't want to talk about it because it feels awkward. The church is only giving a very small abstinence-only approach. And typically the person teaching that is a pastor, not a sex educator. And so I understand why it's like, oh, only like the people who are like weird or like really out there, kinky are talking about that. And that's probably because they perhaps maybe have a more comprehensive sex ed approach or feel more comfortable talking about sex because it's been normalized in whatever community they're in. And the reality is as a person of faith or not, so much of sex is having a conversation and negotiating with your partner about what you do or do not want, what you do or do not feel comfortable with. And Celeste, I feel like you have this really great sandbox Mm -hmm. analogy that you talk about. Can you share about that? Yes, absolutely. So um, I like to think I'd like to think that everybody has what I call an erotic sandbox. So there is this idea that we all like to play in inside of a sandbox. But what makes the sandbox really fun is that there are boundaries to it, right? So you can play as much as you want, and you know the sand is going to stay within the boundaries of the sandbox. And so you can find a lot of freedom in exploring all of the uh, 
sexual things you want to do that reside within the sand inside of your sandbox, but you cannot know um, what what those things are unless you are clearly defining and redefining as you age. We're doing this all the time. Um, the edges, what are on the boundaries of your mm-hmm. sandbox? So there are things that you feel really free to do that are in the middle, that are the sand. There are things that you have soft boundaries around, like, mm, I'm not super sure about that, but I'd like to explore it a little bit that are on the edge of your sandbox. And then there's hell no that mm-hmm. are on the outside of your sandbox. Like, don't ever ask me to do that. I'm not interested in that at all. Right. Mm-hmm. If I want to do that or ever do that sometime, I will bring it up. So it's a good way to kind of think about, you know, what what I want to explore, what I don't want to explore, and what I feel really free doing already. Um, so it's a and it's an activity that you can do as as um, you know even inside or outside of a relationship. You can you know put on paper your explore your erotic sandbox, and in the middle, write okay, I feel comfortable with kissing. I feel comfortable with massage. I feel comfortable with this kind of touch. I feel comfortable with fingering. I'm not super sure about oral. That's going to be on the, on the edge. That's something maybe I want to explore a little bit slowly. And then I feel really uncomfortable with maybe anal play or whatever it is. This is, I'm just giving you an example, but you would put that on the outside of your erotic sandbox square. Um, just gives you a, a way to start thinking about exploration that isn't so, so binary, you know, mm. um, and giving yourself room to explore and to educate yourself. I wanted to, I wanted to tell the listeners that I do have a whole catalog of sex education courses at um, I contract for the velvet box. And so through the velvet box at the you can find um, a whole bunch of replay courses. And I have one in there called booty basics and it's a whole hour on how to engage in anal play. So mm. get yourself a place you feel really comfortable, like these podcasts with cat, a place where you feel really comfortable getting sex education that is from somebody who is trained and knows how to do trauma informed, comprehensive, inclusive sex education so that you can decide what's on the edge of your sandbox, what's on the outside of your sandbox and what's you feel free to do. Yeah. And in alignment with that, there's so much talk about informed and enthusiastic consent. Mm-hmm. And you kind of teach, or I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, mm-hmm. but so I'll just say, what do you think about enthusiastic <laughs> consent? <laughs> Let me ask yeah. you a leading question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Your Honor. Um, <laughs> so I have, I feel I feel a little bit frustrated about the idea that your consent should always be a hell yes, you know, Mm. because you have to explore in order to figure out what your heck yeses are. Mm. (laughs) And so sometimes it's a tentative, like, okay, I think I want to try this, but can we go slow? That's Mm. not super enthusiastic. That is delicate. That is nuanced. That is complicated. Mm. And and very, very rich in communication. And so I, yeah, there are going to be some times where you're like, hell yes, enthusiastic yes. And I love that for you. There will also be some times when it's, I'm not sure, but I'm going mm-hmm. to try with nuance. And I'm going to, I'm going to put myself out there and figure out if this is something that will eventually become a hell yes for me. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I love how you frame that because I... I've been so passionate about talking about informed and enthusiastic consent because I think as a Christian who grew up in purity culture, there were a lot of times where I said no when I really wanted to say yes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times where I said yes, 
because I didn't feel comfortable enough to use my voice and say no. And so I've been so big on like, it has to be a hell yes. Like if Mm -hmm. it's not a hell yes, then it's coercive or I'm doing something I don't want to do. And I've done that before and I don't want to do that anymore. And Mm -hmm. I love the idea of approaching it with curiosity and being like, oh, like maybe it is like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this. (laughs) And part of knowing if your comfort level might be through exploring a little bit or even just having conversations about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is, it is truly the way in which we're all learning, but we're never really talking about like, oh, there's a bunch of like in between choices between an absolute no and a, and a hell yes. Yeah, absolutely. Raise your hand if you have ever struggled with anxiety. For the record, my hand is raised very high right now. I've shared very openly how important meditation has been for me in my healing journey with anxiety. Meditation can feel overwhelming, but Abide is an app that makes it easy. Abide is the number one Christian meditation app. I love to start my mornings on my couch with prayer, and Abide has been the perfect addition to my morning routine. All of the audio meditations are also based in scripture, which has been a fun way for me to get back into the Bible in my deconstruction process. Plus, the meditations can be as short as two minutes long, so they're super accessible. Get started now with 25% off a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co slash refined. You'll get additional stories and meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. Support this show and get 25% off by going to abide.co slash refined. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O slash refined to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. If you're a regular podcast listener, you know that I travel to New York City every month for work. The thing I look forward to most when I get home is getting to sleep in my own bed. Honestly, though, is there anything better? I look forward to it even more now that I have sheets from American Blossom Linens. Their sheets are sustainable, ethical, and made in America with 100% American organic cotton. I love the sheets because they're woven to last a lifetime and get softer with every wash. This kind of luxury sounds expensive, right? Well, without the use of middlemen, American Blossom Linens passes their savings directly to you. Plus, they ship for free anywhere in the U.S., and as a female business owner myself, I love supporting female-founded brands. Go to AmericanBlossomLinens.com and use code REFINED20 for 20% off your order. That's code REFINED20 for 20% off your order when you go to AmericanBlossomLinens.com. All right. This might be a little lighter question. (laughs) Um, How common is it for both partners to orgasm at the same time? Like the movies. Uh, Not very. (laughs) (laughs) Not very at all. Mm. Um, It takes a lot of concentration to come for most people. And so most sexual scenarios, if both partners are even coming in that scenario, Mm. um, it's going to be like a turn-taking approach. I always say, let's go back to kindergarten, please, because (laughs) sex is a lot of turn-taking. And we need to remember (laughs) that um, coming together is a skill set that takes a lot of communication and work 
This is not mm-hmm. just like, we're great at sex. So we come together all the time. Well, you're probably great at sex because you communicate a lot and you've worked on it and you know your body really well. You know when you get close, you know how to get mm-hmm. close, you know when to pla- plateau from arousal, all those things. Mm-hmm. So coming together does not happen at the percentage that it does in movies and in porn. You know, um, sex is very much like a turn takey thing. And let's just take orgasm off the off of the pedestal that we put it on a lot of the time. Um, You can have an amazing, sensual, connective, vulnerable, exciting, erotic sexual experience without having an orgasm at times. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we research people, we have asked them, what is your favorite part of sex? Is it you know, the desire for sex is when you ask each other for sex. Is it the arousal phase for sex where we're making out and now our clothes are coming off and we're touching each other and we're rubbing each other and, you know, we're grinding and, and then we're, we're touching each other's genitals, right? That whole long process of arousal, or is it plateau where things have to happen in the same rhythm, same consistency, or is it orgasm? And then, you know, this is like, involuntary contraction of the pelvic floor muscles for three to 10 seconds, you know? Oh, sorry. I just, I just dropped my plastic clitoris. (laughs) (laughs) Not the plastic clit. I know it happens all the time. Um, Or is it the refractory period, right? So those are the five stages of kind of a sexual experience. Do you know that most people do not say orgasm is their favorite part of sex? 70% of people say some combination of arousal or plateau is actually their favorite part of sex. So let's take orgasm off of this pedestal that we have it on and say like, there's so much to love about sex, Mm -hmm. even if there's no orgasm present. That's so, that's so beautiful. And, and I think having that reframe is helpful. I don't, I only know because I am a woman, but I, I, I want to say, especially as a woman, because I think for women, like, at least, okay, I'm just, I guess I'll just speak personally. I, I can get in my head or mm-hmm. I can feel a lot of pressure to orgasm where in my, the story I tell myself is that it's just easier for guys. And mm-hmm. I think there's so much that goes on in any sort of like sexual encounter. And I think a reason why I feel passionate about women experiencing orgasms just as much as guys, and maybe I do put too much of an emphasis on orgasm is because of the massive orgasm gap that we see see statistically. Um, uh, Sheila Gregoire was just on my podcast and we talked about that. And one of the statistic is that 95% of men report to experiencing orgasm on almost, almost always or always in any sexual encounter, whereas women is about 48%. Mm-hmm. And so as I'm hearing you talk, so I'm like, yes, it's not all about the orgasm. Like it's about connection. It's about intimacy. And yet it seems that in almost any sexual encounter that a guy is often almost always or always experiencing orgasm. And then like the woman often kind of gets the shaft or it's like, Oh, like, can you, you can just finish yourself. Right. Right. Um, and so can you speak into that experience at all and how we can like 
stand up for ourselves or say like, Hey, like my orgasm is just as important as you. Like maybe it's not all about orgasm and we don't have to come at the same time, but are there ways to kind of negotiate that with your partner without being like, Hey, you got one. I get one. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of layers to that statistic. And that's what you're, what you're talking about is what we call the orgasm gap where Mm -hmm. uh, cisgendered hetero men experience 95%. Uh, orgasm where cisgendered hetero women experience about 48%. But let's also look at same-sex interactions because that rate is much higher for uh, lesbian women who who are sexually active. They have a much higher rate of orgasming together Mm -hmm. um, in the same sexual scenario. So if we look at that, we can see that there is a disconnect between what a penis owner um, understands about the clitoris and what a clitoris mm-hmm. owner understands about the clitoris. And so um, a, a lot of that gap, I believe, is due to things like growing up in purity culture where you don't understand how to have an orgasm um, mm-hmm. or you don't feel comfortable asking for what you need or touching yourself in an, in a partnered scenario, right? Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that is um, understanding your own body and having uh, agency, your own sexual agency to be able to ask for what you need, right? Because when we're relying on penis owners, you know, who have the, you know, shampoo, conditioner, body wash system <laughs> um, <laughs> to give a clitoris owner who is a little more complicated um, in a very, very good way, an orgasm, like there all there will always be a gap because that clitoris owner knows more about her her body than a a penis owner will every time. And so part of it is not, don't get me wrong. I'm not blaming a vulva owner. I'm blaming the system through which a vulva owner grows up Mm. that tells her that her body is worth less pleasurably than a penis owner, right? So the system has created this orgasm gap, not necessarily the people within the system. Right. And even just thinking about this question of how common is it for both partners to orgasm at the same time? I mean, all we see of sex and you, you talk about this is all we see of sex is performative. All we Mm -hmm. see is, uh, the, is it, is it called spontaneous arousal? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So spontaneous arousal on the movie where it's like, you know, they're making out and then they get into the apartment door and clothes are coming off. And, you know, he it's missionary position. Like he's on top and he like pump pumps and then they both come at the same time. And I think that does such a massive disservice for so many people. I think it shows like, Oh, like, first of all, it's easy for people to come and Mm -hmm. that it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't take a lot of work. And, um, yeah, so I don't know if you even like have statistics or information about this, but like, is there like a more normal, like, oh, it takes women about like 15 minutes to get warmed up or is everyone different? Like, I just want to say like, is there a different picture that we can kind of use for normality Mm -hmm. as opposed to this, you know, 
scene from the notebook, you know, where (laughs) he picks her up and pushes her against the wall and they have the best sex of their life. And now they have like sex on a table. This always drives me nuts. Oh yeah. I'm like, I feel like that would like hurt my neck and like have to hurt my knees. Break my spine. Like in Bridgerton, when he's going down on her on the stair, on the stairs, when there's a bed, like three feet away I'm like please for the love let's move yeah. to the bed like I just, have no tolerance for this kind of nonsense let's <laughs> go to the bed go I know bed. I'm the worst to watch movie let me tell you you should never watch a movie or porn <laughs> with me I'm the worst the worst ever um so so for your for your first point like all of the sex that we ever see unlike any other behavior that you ever engage in in your entire life you will see most other behaviors normalized. You see driving normalized. You see relationships normalized. You see friendships normalized. You see cooking normalized. You don't look at, you know, Ina Garden's, you know, the Barefoot Contessa and be like, why can't I cook like that? I'm so disappointed. You know, you re- you recognize that cooking is hard and she's had years of experience. So, um, but sex is not like that. You have probably never, ever, 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 ever seen sex that wasn't performed for you, mm. right? Even if you have seen people have sex in real life, they still probably know that you're watching them. <laughs> um, and so you have never, ever seen normalized, like very kind of common sex. You've only seen sex mm. that is performed, that is scripted, that is filmed at certain angles, that have certain types of body types that are so not real. So just knowing that your idea of sex is not real. Mm-hmm. And that goes for me too, right? And I have watched a lot of porn, let's be honest, because of my certificates and things like that, you, you have to actually watch a lot of like pornographic material, explicit material. Um, and so it is the work of our sex lives to understand that my sex life is different from what the sex life I think in my head needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, all of the sex that you see is performed. And in reality, what you want is a feeling out of sex. You want to, to be able to experience the feeling you want to feel. And so how do you, you go about doing that? Well, it's a lot of communication it is a lot of talking. It is a lot of understanding your body. It is even, you know, good sex even comes from deconstructing those messages that you got growing up. That's part of having a great sexual experience. And so undoing from the very spontaneous, oh, we're just both totally aroused and you can definitely put a penis in a vagina in a minute and a half. There's no problem mm-hmm. there without lubricant, right? Um, I always appreciate in sex scenes where you actually see a penis owner like holding their penis and trying and like guiding it into a vagina. Like that's a very common occurrence that doesn't happen often. It just looks like, oh, he just lays on top of her and it just goes right in like no problem at all, which Mm -hmm. can happen. But like it's not very common, especially for first, you know, your first time or whatever. So there's just so many things about scripted performed sex that um, are untrue and give us ideas that something somehow is wrong with us if we can't get aroused in a minute and a half. And so the data that you're looking for is that most vulva owners need between 13 and 15 minutes just to get fully aroused, where most penis owners need between three and five. And so you need to have some longer time. <laughs> and most sex is over between seven and 20 minutes. So just when, you know, a vulva owner might be getting to her full peak arousal, a penis owner might be already finished. 
Wow. Okay. So if that's the case, mm-hmm. are there ways that, um, are there ways that you can kind of negotiate uh, an experience where like both people can experience pleasure? For instance, I have one of my friends, one of my girlfriends, her like negotiation with her partner is, Hey, before you you put your penis inside me, I need to have had at least one orgasm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because great. in their dynamics, it's like after, after they have sex and he has come, he's like, I can't do anything. Right. right. And so she's like, great. Like you can have that experience, but if you're going to be too tired to then mm-hmm. reciprocate, let's make sure that like I can have an orgasm before we start penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, or do you have any other like thoughts around, around stuff like that? Yeah. Well, that's a, that, I just love that. I love that she negotiates for that. And, and remember that penetrative like penis and vagina or finger and vagina types of sex is typically not the most pleasurable for a lot of vulva owners. So negotiating an orgasm that's outside of penetration is probably a really great idea. Maybe with a vibrator, with your fingers, oral sex, doing it yourself while your partner kisses you in other places. All of those are super valid ways to have sex that is still sex. Remember, we're moving away from, I will preach this until the day that I die, moving away from the idea that PIV sex is the only way to define sex, especially for vulva owners. Um, So yes, negotiating that, hey, I really want to do all of these things and maybe have an orgasm or I want you to wait to, to come until I'm, you know, I'm finished or ready for you to, or we talk about it or, or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. There are tons of ways to negotiate for that. Um, I like to tell clients sometimes that, um, they can make a playlist on their phone that's Mm -hmm. 13 to 15 minutes long and put it on repeat and don't do any type of penetration or anything that would make a penis owner come until you start hearing the first song again. And so when you hear that first song again, it's kind of like a sexy timer, right? Then you know, like, oh, we've, we've spent a good amount of time and I don't, you know, in, in, in arousal phase, um, and maybe we can move on, but maybe that timer is just to check in like, okay, we've spent about 13 minutes. How are you feeling? What would you like now? You know, that different kind of thing like that. I love that. You sharing that the 13 to 15 minute thing reminds me of this TikTok I saw recently. I'll have to dig it up so I can link it in the show notes. But it's this guy and he's like, why are girls so horny after you have sex? And then it like stitches. I think I sent this to you. It stitches to this guy and it's like he's doing like a role play with himself and he comes up and he's eating a bowl of cereal and he's like, hey, babe, do you want a bowl of cereal? And then... She's like, yeah. He's like, I got you a bowl of cereal. And she's like, oh, thanks so much. And he gives her the bowl of cereal. And then she like puts a spoon in her mouth and has one bite. And he's like, oh, wait, can I, can I have a bite? And she's like, oh, but yeah, I thought you just gave me the cereal. And he's like, oh, just let me have a bite. And she gives the cereal back to him. And he like takes a bite and then basically like shovels all the cereal in his mouth and drinks it all. And he's like, "Mm, that was good. And she's like, I'm still hungry. And I just was like, that is, feels like such a beautiful or not beautiful, but probably like accurate (laughs) depiction of what happens a lot. Um, Okay. You kind of referenced it within this, uh, within this last question about um, negotiating orgasms and all of that. Uh, You brought up sex toys and we have another question 
from an audience member that says, talking about bringing sex toys into the bedroom, my boyfriend hasn't been able to give me an orgasm. So what are, how do you even begin to approach a conversation about, hey, like, are you, like, how do you feel about us bringing a sex toy into, or a vibrator into our experience together? I imagine, I imagine, and I could be wrong, but I would imagine perhaps some men would feel like that would feel threatening or like, wait, am I not man enough to like Mm -hmm. make you calm? Um, Is there a way to approach that conversation in a way that's like, you're doing a bad job or in a way that's not saying you're doing a bad job. (laughs) I want this instead. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I love this. I actually taught a class just the other day called Vibe with Your Partner. And it is all about, you know, understanding the role of sex toys in a partnership. Mm -hmm. And really, truly, the role of any sex toy is to bring novel sensations into that sexual experience. And when we bring novel sensations into a sexual experience, we're actually fostering presence because we're allowing ourselves to be back in our body instead of thinking about the laundry and the contracts and the whatever Mm. it is that we're lost in thought about. So anytime that you can bring novel sensations to your body, and that could be with flavored lubricant, right? That's a sensation that's taste. That could be with a new smelling candle that you only burn when you have sex. So it like, you know, Pavlov dogs your brain to think about sex. Um, Anytime that you can bring novel sensations to your body, you are fostering presence and presence fosters connection between two humans. And so new sensations can be um, gained through things like oscillating motors in a vibrator, right? Um, And so the idea that a vibrator would replace a human doesn't hold up because vibrators, sex toys, male masturbators, flavored lubricants, anal plugs, whatever it is, cannot be vulnerable with you. They Mm. cannot. Now, granted, there might be some sex toys in the future that have AI intelligence, but for now, for the, what we're talking about, uh, sex toys cannot hold vulnerability with you. And so they are not connective and they will not be intimate. So they are only adding sensations to a partnership where there is already an exchange of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just think about how the sensations can add to connection versus how they might feel like they take away from connection. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about when communicating your desires are things like, um, talking about your own pleasure and owning your own pleasure and inviting another person or your partner to be part of that pleasure seeking, right? Hey, I love it when I use this vibrator on my own, but I'd really love it if we used it, you know, while you're penetrating me or during Mm. sex, right? Or, you know, I feel really sexy when you take the lead. What do you think about me wearing a blindfold? So all my other senses are heightened as you pleasure me, right? Blindfolds are sex toys too. Or I really like it when you spank me. What do you think about trying a little crop? That sounds fun to me. Or this lubricant looks really delicious. What do you think about us trying it when we're doing oral sex, right? So you can own your own pleasure and invite your partner into that pleasure. And nine times out of 10, your partner is going to be like, heck yeah, I love it when you are owning your own sexual agency. And if they don't, then maybe let's back up a few degrees and think about, you know, having bigger, higher conversations about your partnership, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Thanks so much for thanks for so much for sharing that. And I love the idea that it that a sex toy can add to your presence and intimacy as opposed to taking away from it. Cause there's another question on this list that essentially what it's asking is like, if I use sex toys alone, will it decrease my ability to have an orgasm with a partner? Um, Mm. because you know, you can use a sex toy and you know, that whole 13 to 15 minute thing to get aroused as a vulva owner. It's like, man, you talk about 30 seconds. So why would I ever want a partner? and have that intimacy or something when, you know what, I could just hand over the vibrator. I can do it myself. Right. Right. And that's where we have a conversation about how solo masturbation is actually a totally different thing than partnered sex. Solo masturbation Mm -hmm. is typically just a coping mechanism. I am stressed. Mm -hmm. I am bored. I am tired. I want to get into my own body and to feel myself like whatever it is, it is solving a problem on your own. Whereas partnered sex is an exchange. It is communication. It is connection. It is intimacy. It is vulnerable. You don't have to be vulnerable with your sex toy. You don't have to check in with it. (laughs) It doesn't have feelings and emotions, right? So there is no vulnerability there. So it is just a relationship with yourself in that moment, um, which is different than a relationship with another human being. And so thinking about them differently, solo part or solo masturbation as being a coping mechanism for life and or a learning style, right? Something that you're learning or exploring your body. Whereas partnered sex is an exchange of intimacy and vulnerability. They are two totally separate things. So yes, while you can get to orgasm with your vibrator on your own in 15 seconds flat, um, you still don't, you still aren't experiencing intimacy with another person. So that is why you might want to you know, be in a relationship to experience the intimacy and vulnerability that comes with more risks. You know, there's no, there's not really any risks to masturbation, but there is risk to being vulnerable with another human being, but that, that risk can really create rewards too. Yeah. I think of sex as the ultimate collaboration, the ultimate yeah. teamwork. <laughs> like we are on this team together and we mm-hmm. are working together. I mean, Sex is a workout. You're Mm -hmm. out of breath. Bodies are touching. You're sweaty. Like it's this ultimate like creative uh, Mm. collaboration with another human being, which uh, from like a spiritual perspective is something that I think is so cool. How to me, I like to uh, view like everything about the physical, like the physical is always an invitation to the spiritual or to go deeper layers. And like sex really is this like manifestation of like connection, creativity, intimacy, and that can be so beautiful and sacred. And it's so vulnerable. Holy cow. Like how vulnerable is that to say like, Hey, like (laughs) I am interested in you putting your finger in my butthole. Like you're not saying that Mm -hmm. to like anyone else in your life. Like, that's right. That's right. Wow. Like what, but what like a cool, beautiful picture of like intimacy and collaboration. Yeah. I just think it's so cool. I think it's so, I love that you, that you think it's so cool because I do too. And this is why I'm in this work. <laughs> and I just think, man, if you can ask somebody for, you know, what you want in the bedroom, friend, you can go ask for that raise. <laughs> 
<laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Like yes. if you can ask for something when you are naked and sweaty and vulnerable and it's about your butthole, like <laughs> you can ask for that promotion at work. You can go talk to or have that confrontation with your kid's teacher. You can go do the things that are hard in life. Like that's yeah. why for me, sex imitates life. And if you can get it figured out in your most vulnerable space, you have this superpower for the rest of the spaces in your life. Oh, get worked oh, up. I love it on, so much. <laughs> you better preach. Well, that's with the all the coaching and emotional intelligence work that I have done, a phrase that I have embodied over the years is how you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything. Mm-hmm. And it, I think it is so true how we show up in the bedroom, how if a person is a giver in the bedroom, like mm-hmm. they're going to be a giver in the outside of the bedroom. If a person is only concerned about their pleasure, if they're, I call them like givers or takers. If a person is a taker in the bedroom, guess what? They're probably going to like want the biggest slice of pizza. They're going to get themselves a glass of water first. Like, mm-hmm. and it, you do see how people show up in their lives. Like it's all of it is, um, all of it is a metaphor for how we show up in our lives. Just how everything is like how you mm-hmm. show up to your workout is how you show up in your life. How you show up in conflict is how you show up in your life. All of it is such an invitation to explore deeper ways of connection and growth and intimacy. Yeah. So go sex, go sex ed. (laughs) Well, we are out of time. (laughs) I know. We just (sighs) like, man, that's so fun. It's so fun. (laughs) Okay. I I feel like I just want to do one more question and can, let's just give a quick answer to this one. Okay. Is it common to ask a guy not to come inside you? And what is a respectful way of doing that? Yeah, 100%. If that's not something you're comfortable with, it's outside of your erotic sandbox. You can absolutely ask somebody not to come inside you. You can um, invite them into a different type of pleasure. You know what I would really like? I would really love it if you come on my belly. I think that'd be so hot, right? So you can just ask in a different way. It's it's Mm -hmm. just totally fine. It's you have to respect your own erotic sandbox and you're expecting him to, you know, or you're the penis owner to respect their sandbox too. If that doesn't feel comfortable, then, then, then you keep talking like, and you understand like, is it about the semen inside you? Is it about pregnancy? And what is it about? Would a condom fix that situation? Can you have that conversation? You know? So Um, it is, it is all about figuring out what works for both of you. Sex is always a negotiation. Right. And just to also acknowledge no one is entitled to, or has the right to come inside of you. A Mm -hmm. penis owner might say that it feels better for me. It makes me feel more connected to you. But if you are not there, you move as fast as the slowest, (laughs) the slowest wheel. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've also, I've like, I think a lot of guys will ask you, like, can I come inside of you? And I think if it's a good, if it's a good guy, I don't know how to say this in like a politically correct way, (laughs) but, um, I would, I would think that a gentleman would ask you what you felt comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Um, not, not all guys, but I think a a gentleman probably would do that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, no one has the, no one is entitled to come inside of you and even if you're like I don't even feel comfortable with a guy coming on my belly 
grab a towel, mm-hmm. <laughs> grab mm-hmm. your your cum towel. That mm-hmm. Celeste, I feel like one day you're gonna brand that and you're gonna sell cum towels. Yes. Um, but I know you've said like you can like have a towel that's like near your bed or you have like a his and hers and he can come into his towel and that is completely fine. It will not ruin a guy's orgasm. It won't like kill his orgasm. Like, yeah, all those things. Do you have any anything else to add to that? No, I think you did it beautifully. Perfect. Cool. All right. Well, Celeste, this was awesome. Clearly, we're going to have to do this again because there's about 50 more questions on this list. Yay. Yay. I'm going to I'm going to leave you with some AMSRM with my oh, oh, it's not working. I was going to turn on this vibrator that I had on my desk, but apparently it's not working. So, oh, sorry. Dang it. Oh, that oh there nice. it goes. Yeah. There it is. Yay! Yay! All right, girl. So good chatting with you. And until next time, we'll see you soon.